You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, uh, all you fellow Michiganders, welcome back to another podcast episode of the Michigan Life Outdoor Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for episode number five. And before we get into this episode, we just want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend. We're going to be rolling into the Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you guys are maybe listening to this on your way up. And today's podcast episode inspires you to get out there and enjoy what we're about to talk about, which is bow fishing. And you'll hear during this podcast, you don't have to have a ton of money set aside to get into bow fishing at all. You know, just like anything, how far do you want to take it? How far do you want to go down that path? But you probably have a lot of what you need right in your garage or in your basement, old bows or, you know, a friend's bow or a garage sale bow that you bought in the past. You can go out and get set up. Um, and we, we walk you through what you need. The boys talk about their setup with their boats, their bows, field tips, things like that. Everything you need to get going and be successful at bow fishing. So we hope you guys enjoy this podcast episode. Remember to follow us on Instagram at my life outdoors. That's M I life outdoors for Michigan life outdoors. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, that would uh, help out a lot. All right. The group is back together. We've got Tom this week, which is great. Tom, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Welcome back, buddy. <laughs> Somebody's got to do all the work. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna lead us to the promised land. All right, a couple reminders to start this podcast off. One, KP, you wanna give them that reminder about bear and elk? Yes, they have a few more days left for Michigan bear application and elk application. Literally a few days by the time you guys hear this. You're gonna hear this Thursday. You have about three days after that to apply if you haven't done so. Um and then Another reminder for this uh, upcoming week, which will affect many of you Michiganders out there, is May 29th is Saturday. Um, We're going into Memorial Day weekend, and that is uh, possession season for large and smallmouth bass opens up statewide on Saturday. And here's an interesting question. Do you guys ever keep bass to fry up? Nope. We did once last year, camping uh – with some kids and we cooked them up and they were pretty darn good too. So I went to, when I was at state, we were, you know, at a party or whatever, talking about fishing and all that kind of stuff. 
and I brought up the fact that we used to keep largemouth when I was a kid and fry them up. And I didn't know no different, but I thought they tasted great as long as you fry them up and clean them. But a lot of dudes looked at me like yeah. I was growing a third head out of out of myself. <laughs> but I think they're pretty damn good as long as you get them in the right body of water. Yep. Most of our lives we let them go, but uh, we ate them last year and they were great. Yeah, obviously don't cook up like a you know, six pounder that's 22 inches long or 21 inches long. Maybe let that one go, but I don't know. If you're hungry enough, fry them up. Give them a shot. Enough grease and batter, everything tastes good, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Enough tartar sauce. And then uh, another announcement is June 5th, uh, which is also a Saturday. Michigan's musky se- possession season opens on all the Great Lakes, inland waters, Lake St. Clair, um, the St. Clair, St. Mary's, and Detroit Rivers. So... You guys, if you want to keep a muskie for whatever reason, um, if not, catch and release is always a, a great practice for, for those fish as they're very, very finicky. But on today's episode, we're going to get into a little bit of bow fishing. And uh, it's something that I personally don't have any experience with. But um, I actually did a podcast episode on my other podcast about it and talked to a Michigan company called Loxley Bow Fishing. They make products here in Michigan, um, specifically all for bow fishing. So they make gloves, um, they make some reels, some other apparel and things like that. Uh, so I learned a little bit that way through that, but uh, I'm more interested to hear about your guys's setups, your, your boat rigging and things like that, because a lot of folks might have a flat bottom boat in their backyard um, or just a boat that, uh, you know, maybe is in the family and, they can kind of rig it up and if they wanted to get into bow fishing, if they hear and like what it's all about. So yeah, if anyone wants to give, uh, their setup, take it away. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and before we get into boats, I guess you can do it from shore too. That's how we started as kids. We were waiting out at the state park and a couple different creeks and stuff, shooting carp with our bows, wading in the water with tennis shoes up to our knees, chasing them around. For the folks listening, why is right now a really good time for bow fishing if you want to get into that it's their spawning season uh the carp and the needle nose gar around here um they're all spawning right now so they push all the females up into the shallows and it's the best time to get a shot at them yep a lot of the creeks that don't hold a lot of water maybe throughout the summer or if you have a spring where there's a little bit of water like it's been dry for us but when they fill up it's your best chance for them to come upward especially if you kind of live away from the lakes um, you know, if you're just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by cornfields, but you've got a Creek that like right now is probably your best chance for them to fill up and have those pike and all that kind of stuff swim up, you know, far enough from the lakeshore to come on up your way. And you can get, um, bow fishing. You can legally get suckers, carp, grass carp, I think they're called yep. common, carp. common carp, common carp, grass carp. And, Catfish. uh, then you can needle, needle nose gar around here in South, Southern Michigan. Mm-hmm. Especially by the Great Lakes, we're pretty close to Lake Erie. We get a lot of fish coming up this time of year. That's what's cool about bow fishing is you literally can make it super simple, or you can go all out and buy a boat and do the lights, and or you can shoot fish from shore during the daytime. I and mean, we all started as kids. Well, I remember kid, yeah, kids like the drainage in between my house and my neighbor's house. We'd always meet there, and. You know, you'd always see these fish or carp swimming in like, you know, that grass that starts to come up off the bottom and things like that. You'd always see their fins sticking out or they'd go underneath the underpasses of the viaduct and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Um, we would 
we always try to catch them. We never thought to shoot them with bows back in the day, but <laughs> spear them. Yeah, we were always spearing them. But uh, bow fishing, I think, is something that's really taken off over the last couple of years. And it seems like, you know, there's companies out there, like I mentioned, making dedicated products towards bow fishing. There's tournaments in the state of Michigan for bow fishing. I know up on uh, Saginaw Bay, there's a lot of tournaments in that yeah. area. Um, all the tributaries around there and lakes and creeks and rivers and all that kind of stuff feeding that. I know it's good. Um, so it's, yeah, really, really taken off lately. And if anyone wants to explain like a bow for bow fishing in case no one knows what it's about, it's not, I mean, you can, I guess, traditionally use your archery, shoot it and let your arrow stick in the water, but they've kind of sophisticated it more than that. Yeah. I I love it uh, because it reminds me of hunting. So it's basically hunting in the summertime. So that's my favorite part about bow fishing, uh, to get in the bows a little bit. They have tons of different reels back in the day. They used to be you know, old school reels, round reels that you would actually spool up yourself by hand. Now they have different trigger systems and reels. Like we use the AMS boat fishing reel, uh, which is just basically a bottle system with a, a couple hundred pound test line. And you shoot, we shoot fiberglass arrows. They're very heavy. Um, and they have a slider uh, on the arrow that your rope is connected to. So you shoot and you have a little stop at the back of the arrow. So your slide comes up, stops on your arrow. As it takes off, you shoot your fish and you just reel it back in. Is it? And that's not like traditional fishing line. So how thick is the rope? It's like kite string. Think of kite string as a oh, good okay. way to put it. So it's about it's about the diameter size and strength of kite string. It's usually two hundred to six hundred pound test, depending on which brand or which line. Well, that's some strong on. strong kite string. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all different. The new competition stuff is even smaller diameter, just like a fishing pole. You know, they got the 30-pound braided. braided line. It's the diameter of a four-pound test or whatever. But the new stuff's like 200 pounds. Like Muzzy sells 200 pounds competition line, and it's super, super 200 small. pounds? Yeah. yeah. But, we like, we went to Florida. Uh, you can pretty much bowfish anything, right, on any species. We've been in Texas shooting alligator gars, Florida shooting gators, bowfish up here. But we went to Florida shoot alligators. We used... Um, we called it gator cord. I think that was the name on the spool, actually. 500 or 600. 600, 660 or something 660, like that. Yeah. Pound test, 660 pounds. So, is it, the bow going to last or is the line going to break first? Which one's going to break first? You're tied to buoy. So the weakest, the weakest point. <laughs> yeah, so your tip is tied onto your slider, which is uh, also tied onto your string. So when you break your arrow or your tip, you're still attached to your main line. And then if you get tangled up in weeds and all that stuff, all three of us can hang on and pull. I mean, it's we need gloves. It's going to hurt your hand before you break the line. You're pulling in nine pound or nine foot alligators and that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> and, and to clarify that, you're not really using that pound test because the fish are that big. You're using that pound test because you're stuck in muds or weeds or your arrow's mm-hmm. bent over the opposite way. So oh, yeah, yeah. you need that strength to be able to kind of manhandle that arrow and get that in. It's not really to overpower that. 20 pound car you don't need 600 pound test for a 25 well, i was car, thinking but, like yeah. how how thick are these bows that you're shooting because if you got 600 pound tests uh, like that's why i was thinking like something's gonna give either the line we have or the a really bow. kind of a funny story uh i shot a pretty good size alligator guard in texas and it went into what was they called it like uh hydrangea the lilies and uh it buried itself all the way underneath of there and um i could not pull it out and Kelly's like, hook it to the cleat in the boat. And, and I hooked to the cleat in the boat. Kelly was driving, and he put the motor in reverse, and we drug, like, 
I don't know. A 20 I thought the motor was going to fail. It, oh. was, it was literally tug of war, like two trucks lined up with the tow strap and who's going to out pull who because motor in full reverse getting hot. And we pulled this clump of weeds out that was, I mean, half the nuts. size of this room. Holy and we had to shit. sort through all that stuff. And the line never broke. We got oh, your fish. Got the fish, fish was still attached? The fish was still in there. Wow. It Jaws. took like an hour just to cut all the seaweed and all the crap to even find the fish. And then you're sticking your hands down in there with a six foot alligator gar and alligators in Texas and everything else trying to find this stuff. But uh, it was pretty funny. It was, it worked. Kelly's like, tie it to the boat. We're going full board. And it, it drug it right out of there. What elevated you guys to this next level? Like growing up as kids, you're shooting them with bows and now you're like hooking them to hitches and putting them on the front. I mean, like you definitely on the next level of bow fishing. So let's explain how it starts, right? As kids. Cause that's what most of these people would uh, relate to. I think is we got our old bows, or when I got some friends into it, we got junk bows. I mean, go to the garage sale right. and get your $20 bow. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the average shot length is within five yards of these carp. So you're you're right on top of them, really super close. Whether that's shore or from a boat, either way. Yep. I mean, it's a long shot. When, you, when somebody makes an eight or 10-yard shot, you're like, holy yeah. crap, that was a poke. Like, nice shot. And so we're on top of them. Because you're also dealing with the refraction of the water. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. why you say eight yeah. to ten yard shot plus refraction the, that's a pretty that's like a the know, weight of the 50 string, yard shot whitetail the weight of the arrow like it drops so fast so a bow fishing arrow is like 1200 grains to 1400 grains depending on what arrows you shoot and then uh you're throwing the tips on there and then the weight of that line that's okay. dragging it so after 10 yards like you're, you're dropping a foot two foot okay then, i mean it's a lot and you don't need a lot of poundage. Um, we do kids' bows. Recurve bows are good for fast shooting. Um, we have roller rests, so our arrows don't, you know, not a drop away rest like our bow setup. It'd okay. be like a, a, a wheel, a roller rest, a rest for our arrow to slide along. Um, different kind of reels. And we're shooting and shooting fast. And there's a lot of action. I think that's what we all got addicted to most. You go out, it's not a big deal to shoot 100 times in, in an afternoon. And it started on our bicycles. You know, we were kids. We couldn't drive. We would ride our bikes to the closest creek, and we would walk all day. And, you know, we got three carp. This is awesome. And, you know, we're kids. We're super geeked up. And and then it went from little junk four-inch spears on little, you know, four-foot poles to, man, look at this aluminum extension. You know, I got this awesome spear. And then that led to, I got this $25 bow at the garage sale. And that turned into, it just keeps roller coastering. And, and eventually your expectations go higher. Your skill level gets better. Your equipment gets better. And then you end up in Texas and Florida and all over the country yeah. shooting stuff. Stingrays and alligators and gator gars and the gator gar tom got was six feet long ish or something like that six and a half six and a half feet long alligator gar in texas and it's like big as a basketball around and six and a half feet long what'd you do with that you mount it no i uh one i couldn't find anybody to mount it and the couple guys that said they might possibly take on the challenge of mounting it it was like three thousand or four thousand dollars to mount a fish yeah so then i'm like what am i gonna hang this from my living room ceiling like i don't know where to put it (laughs) be a cool story that would be a great story i just don't think my wife would appreciate it (laughs) we got some cool pictures though got some really good pictures um is it big down in texas like the bow fishing the sport of huge huge huge. they do it year round they have tons of of species of fish and their population of fish is crazy so that's where you'll see a lot of the airboats, the guided rigs. I mean, they thought we were nuts. We drug a pontoon boat all the way to Texas to go boat fishing. And 
You should have saw the looks we got pulling in there. The guy's got $50,000 airboats and all rigged and, you know, guided trips. And uh, so, yeah, that whole southern border, it's extremely popular. You know, Louisiana's a really big state as well as Texas for bow fishing. Just the, the sheer species, the amount of fish, and the vast amount of land and water that they have to, to go is crazy. And to go bow fishing, all you need is a fishing license. So yep. it's extremely reasonable. Most people already have a fishing license here in Michigan. So you're all set. When you go out of state, some of these uh, hunting tags are really expensive. You go to Texas and the fishing license is 40 bucks for an out of state or, you know, something right. reasonable like that. And uh, we started off, like you said, spearing, shooting bows, kind of moved up. And then uh, we learned different tips. I can kind of go through that. So if we're going after big animals i would say uh alligators alligator gar stingrays i love the interlock tips they're called the gripper point they have like stainless steel heavy duty three prong tips and once they go in they they don't come out is it like a grapple when it goes in it kind of then yeah. when you go to pull on it it's almost like like barbs but we gotcha and they they kind of like uh fold down when you're going through and then they fold out to a 90 right. so they get pretty big and then this uh interlock makes a it's a d2 so it's kind of like an in-between tip so you have three prongs on the d2 and then three prongs in your regular tips now you have six prongs in there which really gets some good holding power which is awesome for these bigger animals but that'd be horrible if you're shooting carp right because you miss you stick into the mud now you can't get that thing back out or a log or a stick or you actually get one we're we're getting better, right? We've been doing it our whole lives. We'll, we'll get one every five minutes, you know, and so it's hard to get that tip back out. So if we're going after the bigger ones, we want to use that. If we're going after carp, we want the weaker string. We don't need that major power. And then we want these uh, regular two-prong tips that just half spin, fold back out. And one of the brands that I like is uh, uh, Stingery, I think it's called. Cabela's sells it, a couple other ones sell it. And they're just easy to get in and out. And then other species we went after is the common two wire system where you loosen the tip a little bit but that one's hard because you have to get it all the way through the fish so you can loosen the tip to let it back out it's just a little breakdown on tips and there's tons of brands out there like broadheads right you just get the one that works for you but sure. you also get the one to go to go locally that muzzy brand is super good the muzzy makes the uh, just a simple two one it goes through the fish and the nice thing about that one is you never have to manually manipulate the tip you just the weight of the fish, you're able to spin your arrow, which loosens your tip. Okay. And then you're able to fling the fish off and it and then the tips fold backwards and it releases the fish. So if you're, you know, doing catch and release or releasing into a boat or into or a bucket bin and then bucket and things like that, you can uh, release them really quickly. So if you're rapid shooting, that's the style that I prefer. And we've used them as fertilizer before, what we do with them. And then the other thing we've done with them is I save a couple every year for turtle bait, especially them carp works out really good. Freeze them, chunk them up, and then do some turtle trapping with that later on. So it's kind of a two for one. You're getting your bait as you're enjoying. What if you froze it? It'd be good for uh, coyote hunting too. Absolutely. Put, it's super put, oily, obviously. Yeah, put out in the field and get some scent out there. Obviously, okay. be tough in the wintertime because if it was frozen. But, okay, so if somebody wanted to get into this, What's your recommendations for like, hey, I would have at least this many arrows. I would have at least this many broadheads. Yeah. Um, what's the entry point of cost on a, like a, a bow? Like, do you have to buy all the pieces separate? Do they come together? I would, uh, I would buy the first bow or the easiest bow that you come to. It does not matter. It's really insignificant. If it shoots 30 pounds, you're good to go. 
And so we'll call that 50 bucks to buy a bow at a garage sale. doesn't matter the year. doesn't matter the make. doesn't matter let off. None of that stuff is important. Cheapest, junkiest one, whatever you can get your hands on, okay. that'd be a great start. And then I would personally go with uh, the AMS bow fishing kit. I, I really like that kit. They have different packs or different things that come in them, but some of them come with two arrows. They'll come with your real system and your string and everything you're looking at about 100 or 120 bucks for the whole kit um and then from there that's it um how does that mount to your bow the reel so it mounts on your the screws on the back side of your bow yeah and usually that's either the rest screws or the, the sight, sight screws. screws okay um so they have different brackets and different mounting they're all pretty much universal and they pretty much fit any bow and then with that we can explain that so you I would highly recommend a slider. What a slider is, is just like it sounds. It slides up and down your arrow so you can put that string attachment in front of your rest for safety. And as you shoot, it slides to the back of your stop, the back of your arrow, so you can pull it back out. Yeah, I think that's a key point. all in the kit. It's Absolutely. all super easy, and they're pretty common anymore, pretty easy to get to. But after that, if you have an arrow or two. Even if you land one, you don't break them that often. I mean, you've got to really stick in a hard log or something that's pretty deep in the water because it's within a foot or two of the water. You just reach down and you can get it. You don't lose them or break them very often, especially on normal fish up here, meaning carp or little smaller gars, you know, things like that. And then personally, if I was just starting off, I would go during the daytime. You don't need any lights. You don't need anything. You could start in the shore and creeks or if you have a little John boat, I would focus in shallow water, and I would focus on sunny days when it's extremely hot in mid-May and wait for them to start spawning, and I think you'll have a blast. It's, it's great. How many times we rode our bikes in the state park out in the muddy mess, walking in mucky water up to our knees, and, oh, man, I wish I was 10 feet farther and walk a little farther. We're <laughs> shooting a bunch of carp, having a blast. Mm -hmm. Easy. Yep. And, and it's pretty easy to see when it's time, right? You just literally drive anywhere that has one foot water whether that be little creeks little bays little muddy areas typically and you just you can see their fins come right out of the water these carp are spawning they're sliding up next to each other and hey guys it's time to go bow fishing you know and uh it's a riot it's, it's great to do uh we have a ton of fun with it maybe some polarized glasses would help too super important yeah. super important for daytime fishing we've yeah. progressed like anything else you want to get out there a little bit farther or shoot farther or get a little bit better so you end up getting a boat and then uh, that turned into going at nighttime because you don't have the reflection of the sun on the water and you can actually see them a foot underwater two foot underwater and um bow fishing at night is 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 where it's at if you really get into it explain to them our couple of our setups in your boat I'm, yeah I'm yeah the, i want to get into that and before we do that real quickly we mentioned glasses and it's really important that we touch on this Blue polarized glasses are the glasses you want, not the orange, not the red, not the different ones. They don't have to be expensive by any means. I still use Walmart $20 ones. It's mm -hmm. not important. What is important is the color. And you'll see like a lot of these professional fishermen or these people, it always seems to be blue. So blue is the color. Blue is what I have. And that's usually like there's Costa does a really good job of uh, explaining why and what color you want. Um you know, there's like a hierarchy to getting up to the blue, but the blue is going to give you the most um, deflection, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the easiest on the eyes, the most protective on your eyes. And I think 
you can get it to work on all times of year. I, I take mine out. What a lot of people don't realize too, is I take those out ice fishing with me because the snow and if it's sunny out is actually the worst for your eyes over anything else. So if I'm going in between tip ups and I'm outside the shanty, I always carry my glasses on me too, to protect me from that sun glare off of the snow. It's supposed to be really bad for your eyes. So, so if I'm looking at you, the reflection of your glasses look blue. Correct. If that makes sense. So they understand like that. Like a bluish. Part. And it's yeah, like an aqua green, a bluish color kind of thing. And it is so important. Like it's night and day difference if you're wearing nice yep. polarized glasses versus not. Well, look at that fish. Look at that fish. I don't see them here. Try these glasses on. Oh, yeah. There they are. Yep. I wouldn't even go bow fishing in the daytime without no way. glasses. Right. It'd it's, be a waste of time. And it's just as important as your bow. Like it's Correct. that much. Especially if you're standing in the water. Um, you know, you're not getting that high of a view looking down anymore. You're kind of bringing your, your, your sight more down to the level of the water. So you're going to even lose more sight further out from you. So if you've got your polarized glasses, it's going to help you a lot, even see when you're down standing in the water itself. So that's mm-hmm. huge. And then the deflection, uh, aim low. You always miss high, like 99% of the time, the deeper the fish the more you have to aim low below the fish. looks like the fish is there, but that deflection, did you call it? Yeah. Is refraction. The the refraction, the fish is actually lower. Aim low. The deeper they are, the lower you aim. Is there a way you can practice based off of depth or anything like that? Is that why you guys say you like just to reload, whoever reloads quick? The first 10,000 shots were hard. (laughs) After that, we got better. It really is just trial by error, just learning and and then if you're with a good group of friends, hopefully they're watching your shot. Because sometimes when you're, you know, kind of bearing down, whether you have a pin or you're just, you know, free shooting or, or whatnot, you know, they can say, oh, you were high. You were high. So okay. next time, aim six inches low. We say that all the time in all our videos. Aim low. Don't miss high. You know, <laughs> low. So we're always constantly preaching to each other to aim lower, aim lower, and you always miss high. The other thing I'd like to say is get some kind of either fixed rest. That's not a drop away or moving. Yeah, the arrow's so heavy while it's moving. I noticed on a couple of our higher end bows, you've had more problems with arrows not flying true and straight. They're actually hitting the point. So say you're practicing on the ground in the grass and you're aiming at, at a point. I'm hitting that that pop bottle every single time, but it's hitting it on a, a wheelie angle, angled I up, gotcha. or um, the other way, angling down or right or left. So when it hits that water, it follows that track. Whether it's, say, it's uh, pulling wheelie going up, you hit that water, it just wants to plane out and go flat. Or it's the tips down and the backs up, hits that water, wants to go down. I think it's pretty important to get your bow to fly true with that resistance of your string and your arrow flight. Um, so it actually goes in straight and penetrates that water well. And that's trial and error, learning yep. and setting your you bow up. You might have to adjust your back knock point or your rest point. Even if your arrow's sitting level doesn't mean that once it leaves with that resistance of the string that it's going to fly true or straight like he's talking about. So just watch the flight of it. Watch how your arrow's performing in the water is really important because you, your bow could be right on, you're hitting, but you're, once it hits the water, it's not staying straight anymore. It's changing angles. I think so it's, it's like true instinctual shooting then. Yes. It's yeah. like throwing a baseball. And you don't think about it, how far the person is away. You just throw it. Gotcha. And I love recurve shooters. They are so talented. Tom is phenomenal. He is just no sights, no not, just pull back, fling arrows, and he smokes them. And it's fast. It's half draw sometime, and mm-hmm. you're, Tom's really good at it. He's so quick. By the time I get my bow drawn back, he's already shot. <laughs> I just had it. Uh, my, grandpa, my grandma got me into hunting. She had right. recurve, and uh, that was my bow fishing bow was a recurve. 
So as I got older, I bought a new recurve, and I just pretty much stuck with that one. So you kind of got that, like, hard knocks of instinctual shooting, like what you grew up on. It was perfect. It was Fred Bear over here. Yeah, there's no... Uh, there's no sight, no anchor point, no you're shooting carp. It's just super quick. It's like throwing a ball or, you know, if I was to toss you something, your mind and your, your muscle memory just realizes, hey, he's only this far away. I only need to throw it this hard. And Got you. It's the same with a bow. And you don't even have to think about it. It just happens. So – and, I'm, and never shoot on three. Always shoot on two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. yeah. You guys about, do a countdown? Oh, there's about there's 10 a couple stories, stories about, about that. that. <laughs> hey, so if you're shooting and you miss the fish, do they know what's going on? Do they swim off or do they kind of hang there? Like, or do you miss your your opportunity? You know what I mean? Like, Sometimes. Just okay. depends. I think it's like deer hunting. You, you gotcha. I've shot the same deer multiple times and it's they're like a dummy. And, uh, fish are the same way. If they're super spooky, I think... Uh, We'll go in some bays and some cuts that we know around here and local guys go to. And uh, if we're the, not the first boat in there, you know what I mean? Them, them fish are pretty spooky. They've already been shot at. There's already been boats, traffic. And, gotcha. Um, they get pretty spooked too. And so. sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Like what species are we going after? If we're carp shooting and there's 5,000 carp around us, it doesn't really matter, right? You just get the next one. If we're being picky like Texas alligator gar when there's one specific fish that we're after, after we'll just follow that wake you know oh, Montreal went this way we gotta go this way or we may leave that area and come back you know a half hour later and try to locate that gotcha. one fish but but around the carp and stuff when you hit it I mean it is crazy action like we'll each shoot a hundred times each in a three hour period and it's as fast as you can reel in your string to get your arrow back in your bow you're shooting again he's pulling one in it's just it's chaos and you're like oh god well, no, i missed i missed oh here he goes and then you graduate to you know more challenges just like anything else and then we went out and shot asian carp in illinois the flying fish the motor scares them up yeah and i think we were oh for a hundred the first hundred <laughs> shots and then we started getting better like yeah. you're leading them they're coming ripping out of the air these whatever 20 30 pound asian carp up in the air 10 feet up in the air and you're leading them like you would a duck with yeah. your bow and a string as you're driving the boat all at once and then people are getting hit in the everywhere you gotta hit a ton and that was a different experience because you shoot out of the back of the boat so around here everything's done out in front of the boat your forward progress you're shooting fish in the water so that's always done on the front whereas in the back the vibration of the motor for asian carp is what makes them jump so typically you shoot out of the back of the boat as oh, your motor man. passes them. So you're facing backwards <laughs> and then someone's got to drive forward. It's, like, it's got to be like skeet shooting almost. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah. You only shoot the ones for the best accuracy. You shoot the ones that are, you know, broadside to you. If they jump facing you or jump away, it's extremely hard to hit them. Obviously, they're only a couple inches wide. But if they jump sideways, oh, that one, you know, and there's 30 fish in the air at one time. Just every, every 30, you know, Thousands. every few seconds are just dozens and dozens can of you fish. do that any time of year yes yeah, yeah. and God, you shoot like so well in, the, in this warm months i would say like not in the winter because that's the same climate as us but like in that spring summer early fall yep anytime and, and you we shoot need to go again it's only six hours from here i'll even give away the information because it's peru illinois it's right by the hydro dam in the illinois river so it's the dam that supposedly is stopping these fish from getting to the great lakes right. and there's a lot of controversy about that but um, but it, it's easy. It's six hours from Southeast Michigan. You can drive there. You can be there, you know, a few hours and stay the night and go for a couple of days. And it's very, very reasonable. Super easy. And you shoot until you can't pull your bow back anymore. And then it's the next guy's turn. And if you're shooting compounds, you're pretty much holding your bow back for 
one minute, a minute, a minute, half, two minutes at a time. You're, wait, oh, there's one. Uh, I should have shot. Oh my gosh. Do I? And everyone's laughing. Then you're getting hit with other fish. You should wear a helmet, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And a and life a jacket. Nut protector. <laughs> Kelly kept getting hit in the, <laughs> in the junk. We're rolling. And then you shoot and then you miss. And then it just, it's chaotic and fun and just oh, awesome. Shit. We just bought a boat. We should go do that like in a month. Yeah. It's pretty oh, sweet. Man, would you, have you been filming any of your guys's? Uh, bow fishing excursions. Yeah. So we haven't been this year, but we have uh, in the past. We, we have videos of our uh, our uh, Florida alligator trip. We have uh, we've been a couple times to Texas for alligator gar. Okay. Our Asian carp video is on there now. Please don't beat us up too bad. These videos are all uh, fairly old. So the for example the Florida one's 2012, and uh, so we were uh, younger and inexperienced in filming and we're getting better each year. Tell them where they can find that again. So like, uh, in the case so that's going to be YouTube and you're searching for bragging rights outdoors. Rights is spelled with a Z. Okay. Bragging rights outdoors. There's about 50, I believe 50 videos on there. Again, don't beat us up too bad. I promise the, the newer videos are much <laughs> higher quality and, uh, than the, the previous ones. But well, I think it's important to mention too, like obviously you had no problem giving away that spot in Illinois, bow fishing, and a lot of the species that, you know, you guys are going after are invasive species to, to the Great Lakes. Yep. So when you won't see bag limits on things like that, um, the DNR obviously always encourage it. Obviously something like the Asian carp, I mean, go whack as many as you want to. Um, I think it is cool that if you could bring them back and use something for fertilizer, like you said, bait for the turtles and things like that. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of people, we bring them back. We tried eating them a couple of times. They're so, so uh, my personal opinion, but a lot of other people uh, we come up to the Asian carp. We gave one guy 25, he filled the back of his trunk full of them. We're like, he was so happy and everything. So there's definitely ways to use them properly. Yeah. Don't yeah, just leave don't, them in a pile on the bank. That has been an issue lately with the DNR. Yeah, yeah. Like well, some of these bow fishing tournaments, I don't know where it was at. I think it was down south somewhere, but they got up on the banks and it was just like heaping piles of everyone dumping their fish. And they stink. And yeah, and they stink bad. So like if you're going to do it, you know, properly discard of the carcasses in a way, wherever you want, just don't leave them by the shore. Absolutely. If you shoot these local tournaments, there's quite a few around here. The Sportsman's Club will do uh steak dinner carp shoe whatever a lot of them rent dumpsters and they, oh, they literally just try to fill the dumpster that's the goal cool and we've donated some to companies that use them for fertilizer dog food they use them for a couple of different ways too so there's uses for them tell them about your platforms and stuff yeah so we're getting into night fishing so we're going we're taking it to a new level we want to get off the banks and the creeks someone might have access to a boat Let's walk them through how the must-haves of what makes you successful having a boat. I think height is, uh, anytime we're talking about platforms, I think height is the most important thing to talk about. And height is important because you can see better in the water. You can see further. Um, you can just all around, you know, shoot better, see better. Um, angles are better, right? More straight down on them. Yep. Uh, so I, I think you want to go as high as you can. Uh, granted that you don't have underpasses to go under or different things that may hinder not wanting a high thing. And then more importantly, probably is the stability of your vessel. Safety. Right? So yeah, if you're, if you got a low 12 footer, you probably shouldn't go, you know, three foot above your boat because you're going to go swimming. So, um, and we started out right. Like everything we started out poor, we, we just put sheets of plywood on top of our seats and our, our little, you know, 14 foot boats. And that was our start. And then after that, we've, 
matured and upgraded to two foot platforms and eight foot platforms and pontoon boats with 10 million candle watts all the way around. So we've graduated and you can do it both ways, right? Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, we like anything with a gritty surface. So like our grates are all like coated and uh, Tom might know the material better. I believe they're using like manufacturing or like. Yeah, a, I'm not sure. It's, it's almost like spraying truck liner, bed liner. Like, it's rhino, like a rhino liner, liner or something. Yeah. They're like one inch by one inch squares is the grating. And I believe it's is it aluminum or is it cast? The one possibly? on the pontoon bolt's all aluminum. Yeah, so it's aluminum, so it won't rust. That's a benefit. It's just for looks. I mean, it's not that big. You yeah. use what you want. But, uh, but having it not be sticky and have it not be smooth. So when it was like plywood and you get eggs and stuff all Fish, over your thing and, and you're in flip-flops and you're sliding all over the place you're like geez oh peace this is horrible you, you smell know? good so, coming home yeah absolutely yeah you will Bow smell bad it's not for the faint of heart make sure you <laughs> have a, the wife's like oh boy a power washer nearby yeah. no doubt but uh yeah so some non-stick surface get you up high uh, i would say protect your lights um, so typically whether we go in small channels or in texas was a great example we went down some narrow um, different channels and tons of brush or you know whether we're fighting fish or just going down these brush will come and they'll they'll just beat the piss out of your light so we try to make sure that we either enclose those lights or uh, have some type of steel or brackets or something mm-hmm. to protect them so they don't break what kind of is there special kind of lights that you guys have like yeah you- not special but there's some that work better than others so we use led lights and that's one thing that you can spend 25 bucks on I, I i bought cargo lights work lights from lowe's you know when i was putting them on my flat bottom boat okay and then you can spend a, a fortune um now we we shoot led lights they're uh 200 watt led lights but it's the warm white or like a soft white and um i guess basically what i've been told and, and witnessed from just doing it is uh it penetrates the muddy water better Mm. Um, you don't get the reflection back of that From the white, white light, light, the yeah. blue light. That makes sense. The warm, soft white light, uh, you can see shadows in the mud. Sometimes, depending on where you go, uh, we go in Lake Erie a lot. Um, the water's nine times out of ten really murky. kind of looks like chocolate milk half the time. Okay. And um, that's the only time you can really see the shadows is, the, is that warm white light. And when he says warm white, it's it looks yellow. It looks like yeah, yellow light. It's, it's not that bright blue. But if you're buying an LED light, it's it's warm white is what they call it. Yep. How many should you have? Does it matter? Is it like, can you go all out on you, those things? Oh, yeah. you, you, you can, can buy spend, one or you can buy a million. That's, you, can, uh, you can spend 50 grand in this look yeah. like Tiger Stadium and, <laughs> yeah. and the fish die just because they get sunburned yeah, from your I lights. Bet. Or like we, we go on a budget, right? And we get a whole, what, what do we have on that pontoon boat? 20 of them? Yeah. I bet there's eight on the front and six on each side. So it's 12 plus eight, 20. I bet there's 20 of them. Holy we bought shit. that. We all went in on that for Texas. But, and I actually, I'll throw a dollar amount on there because I remember ordering them. Uh, there was about $650 worth of LED lights on there. But those were 50 waters. I think there was maybe two or four 100 waters on the front. And I'm pretty sure that everything else were 50s all the way around. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's good and bad. So if you get more lights, if you break one or if one stops working, it's not as detrimental because you have 20 lights on there. So if one stops, it's kind of insignificant. However, it's a pain in the butt for wiring. A lot of these you have to hardwire in. So you have to have some electrical knowledge of how I, I ran a common copper wire and I connected all my hops to one wire using solder. And I, it was a pretty technical <laughs> process. Like if you don't have electrical skills, you're not going to do that. Now you could wire plugs on every one of those, but now you have to plug in 20 outlets to get that to wow. work. 
with splitters and different things. So there needs to be some pre-planning process of how you want to do that. If you have bigger lights, obviously it requires less wiring and or plugs. But if you break one, then it's a significant impact on your lighting ability. And with them LED, it doesn't pull a lot of draw. So we've had them run a couple different ways. Those, we plug all 20 lights into a 2,000-watt generator, a small, quiet little generator. And because they were all hardwired, it was one single male 110 plug. That was And it so doesn't draw any electricity. One plug into an outlet, and all 20 lights were wired together. You guys have a generator on the boat? Yeah. Generator on the boat. Holy shit. Make so, noise. Okay. Um, I think that's well, what I like about it. How long does that last? Like probably a, a session? Put a tank of gas in there. Uh, I have a Yamaha 2000, which is identical to the Honda 2000. It's the okay. quietest generator they make. Okay. And um, four hours running those lights, and then you stop and throw a gallon of gas in it. Yeah, I was going to say, what's floor. the tank? Like one gallon? It's 1.1 gallon and it four hours. So it's a super just small handheld yep. one. Yeah, I really, guess. really little and quiet. And then we've also went with battery powered. Some of our friends have some battery powered mm-hmm. run. They run two 12-volt batteries. And uh, quiet. Eric there, he said that it lasted 16 hours or something on two batteries. And he rigged us all up for a dead silent approach with electric motor in your sneak approach. When we were younger... We didn't have a boat and that kind of stuff. We would carry a spotlight, like a deer spotlight, yeah, and a car battery and oh. our bows. <laughs> and we had one guy has a battery, one guy has a light in the bows. Okay. We go down underneath the bridge on a creek, and we put the battery down there. And one guy's the shiner, and the other one or two or three guys are shooters. And we'd shoot all night. Wow, keeping it simple. And then, like I said, we've we've kind of built the empire from there. I personally like the generator route just because. For one, it's endless. I mean, if you have enough fuel, there's no time that you, you know, you could shoot for 50 hours straight if you have enough fuel to run it. Whereas batteries, once those two batteries are dead, You're that, done. that's it. You have to charge. It you got to charge them all night. 12, 24 mm-hmm. hours. You got to have a good charger. Batteries have a life lifespan, which so yeah. does a generator too. But in my personal opinion, as you get more serious, I feel like the more serious shooters run generators than batteries. However, being quiet is really enjoyable yeah that was going to be my yeah. question is that spook the fish at? i mean i know Depends. it's quiet but a uh, carp and gator gar or, yeah. or not gator gar but alligator gar no no big deal it doesn't seem to affect them too much now the alligators it did we went on silent approach we took a one single spotlight we put a red red plastic lens over it and we're in sneak attack mode and it's all silent and that's beautiful too you're hearing all the frogs and the birds and the wildlife down there it sounds pretty like Tropical. Know, intense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like your Jurassic Park or something. I think that's what I like about bow fishing is we have a buddy who's a freak. The guy kills everything, catches everything. Like he's just a stud. And he's got a $20 bow and a 4 by 4 block mounted to a stabilizer. And he wraps it around the block. A piece of wood. And then he shoots it off of that. Like he didn't even buy a reel. He made a reel. Or you can go the other spectrum and, and buy the $40,000 fan boat and hook $10,000 of lights on it. Damn. You can do uh, whatever you want. And then bow fishing, you have the action. You're talking the whole time. There's no quiet time. You're seeing stuff. Hey, there's fish all over. Watch Tom shoot. You keep shooting. You know, you just get all excited. We bring a radio on the boat. It's it's fun. It's like duck hunting. It's like duck hunting. Super enjoyable. I like that you, when you're out there and you have lights on, it is it is like you get lost in that space. So like you look around or you get so focused in this lighted 20 foot area, 
you have no idea where you are because everything's dark around you and you see some lights in the distance where but you just feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and gotcha. it's swampy and just seeing the different animals and muskrats and turtles and fish and even good fish, you know, bluegill and pike and bass, you can't shoot any of those. But just seeing all the different critters and then having a duck jump up, you know, 10 yards and you scare the heck out of you. And, and we've seen turkey and deer and all kinds of stuff just within feet of the boat. It's just so much fun at nighttime. Probably learn a lot of fish behavior too. You do. Super cool. You know. One thing I've noticed about uh, the cricks and river systems is when we spook a fish, they all swim the same direction um, stereotypically. Like, I don't know how they all know, but you shoot at one and it goes upstream. All right, guys, they're almost all going upstream. And it seems like 100 out of 100 are going to go upstream that day. And then another day, it can be one degree water temperature, a rain, a front. I'm not sure, but they are all on the same page. It's amazing. And everyone you miss are, boom, heading downstream, downstream, downstream. Or we're doing dip netting, which uh-huh. also goes with the spearing season and stuff, which is a big net that we lower in the water pick the fish back up and they're all swimming the same way that day. And then the next day they're all swimming the same way. I don't know how they know, but they're all on the same page. It's amazing. And it's unbelievable how much they change. You can get out there. It can be on fire and nothing to our eyes, you know, say that the environment has changed. Temperature has changed. Rain. And all of a sudden they're all gone. gone. They go. And we did that in Texas. We were shooting these gator guard. They were everywhere. And then the next day we go to the same spot and they're, they're, there's none to be found. And, so that constant hunt and that constant search is uh, really appealing. And then obviously when you figure it out and you do really well, that's that's the high. So, How deep is too deep? Can't see. Yeah, can't hit them. <laughs> really? Uh, I fish a, a one lake particular uh, out in Hillsdale. We fish. It's super clear. You can almost see 20 feet to the bottom. And uh, about, if I shoot a compound bow, about five or six foot, my arrow planes out and loses so much power and momentum that uh, you won't, it won't even stick in the fish. You'll hit it and it, they'll take off. So I'd say like that five to six foot range is just too deep. Yeah, and then in the in the mud, I would say uh, two feet is about max because you just can't see them any deeper than that. You know, okay. one to two feet because they might be there, but you just if they're in four feet water, guys, it's getting too deep. I can't see nothing. A lot of yeah. times, especially at night or you know even daytime, they're laying on the bottom. For sure. If they're spawning, the carp, they're flopping on the top of the water, literally on the fin sticking out of the water, then you don't have to aim low. You just aim right at them and you can see them. But basically, if you can see them in the muddy water is how deep you go. It's like anything else we do when it actually comes together. You might go out five or six times and the water's muddy or the wind's blowing too hard and it puts a chop on the water. So it's really hard to see because you get that reflection off the light. And then, you know, you go four or five times and you get five fish, ten fish, and then you go the one night and everything works. Yeah. And you guys just fill the boat up. So, like, this time of year where it's calm, it's humid, you know, and there's not a lot of wind. Kind of like it's, yeah, just that early summer night that it's you think It's the time of. right now. Right listen to this. It's time. Um, what would you say, I mean, if there is anything to look for other than shallow water, if someone kind of goes out onto, like, a bigger body of water, or maybe even on an inland lake, do you just say go up to cattails? Do you try to find an inlet of water feeding the lake? Um, I like think all wh- that would work. But is it pretty just stick close to shore and just cover some ground? Yeah. Ideally, you're looking for that, that lagoon or that little eddy that's the current might have slowed down or okay. it, it dips back in the woods or something. You know okay. what I mean? That's kind of out of the, the moving water or the current, if you will. And um, when you find them, they'll all be in the same spot. Like, that would 
be my advice too is when we first start say we're in a new area we've never been go to this new lake yeah uh we're not hunting at first we got to find them guys so we're going to find them we'll travel 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 nope they're not here not here let's not even let's just go fast as we can to try to find them then we like okay we found them let's start hunting and find them using using the big motor even if you scare them it's okay we're just looking for numbers and then once you find them then it's like okay now we're going to use the trolling motor we can quiet we're actually in hunt mode now so that's like every trip that we go on find them first i was going to say that applies to hunting fishing everything we do like you don't find them you're just wasting time along the lake erie i would recommend any inlet or lagoon that is shallow water so if you can find a you know a a 10 to 50 acre little inlet that's all mud surrounded by cattails and it's one to three foot deep more than likely there's going to be fish spawning in there Um, the hotter the days the better they come up because that water temperature rises on the surface of that water those fish are come up and that's what makes them spawn is that water temperature yeah, I'd say the same thing too for like Saginaw Bay, just because I know it well. Um, finding those bot, those if you know along the lakeshore, wherever you see those those cuts or those inlets, and you're seeing like that tall sage grass, like anything that looks good for like duck hunting in the fall. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that you guys kind of want to target to go up to. Um, I just know that's where I see them when we're duck hunting and things like that. And while we're on the topic, I don't know if too many people know this. I didn't know this last year when when I found this out, but there's a shit ton of goldfish in the Saginaw Bay area. They're oh, around yeah. us. They're They're around are they? Yep. Yeah, we shoot them. They're that's trophies. That's Dude, the that's Boone. what I'm saying. That's yeah. like that's, that's the be, Boone and Crockett. We <laughs> chase them on purpose. Like, oh, there's a goldie, goldie, goldie. And they're goldie. always small too. They're always like you know ten inches. So they're so much smaller than normal carp. You guys got some? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, shot a bunch. Oh yeah. man, yeah, that'd go trophy. on the wall for sure. At least a t-shirt or something. Pretty cool. We got a couple in the same night before. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you man. get like one or two uh, a night when you go out for, you know, five, six hours. You might see one or two. Oh, Betty's going to be so mad. She let her koi fish go. Oh, out yeah. And <laughs> flush them Here down we are the... chasing them. Shooting them with arrows. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool if people wanted to, I don't know, check it off their bucket list if it's on their bucket list. I think that's pretty cool. And it's not cool that they're in there, but it's cool that you can go out and smoke them and yeah. help eradicate them. We year and after about... year, we've seen them. We keep talking about carp, but uh, we like shooting needle nose guard too. And I think uh, you find those more along uh, rock. Okay. Anytime there's rock ledges in the water, or piles of rocks, or anything like that, they seem to be congregated around that. And um, I think we like shooting those just because it's hard. It is so They're challenging. So skinny, super hard to hit. So like you might, you know, I mean, if you're really good and you got a pin on your compound bow, you pretty consistent, but. It takes a lot of shots to stack up a pile of gar. You know, if you shoot right. 50 gar in a night, you shot 500 times. Wow. It's a lot. But. And then nighttime, they're right on top of the water, just little logs big as a baseball bat or, you know, inch and a half around or something, and there's a lot of them. Are they the hardest to hit? Yeah. Goldfish and, and needle-nose gars are, are extremely hard. Okay. And every once in a while, you get lucky and, you, you know, pull off a headshot or something, and, and you get the highlight reel. Asian carp are challenging at times when they're flying through the air and you're trying to shoot a fish out of the air. That's that's a challenge, I guess. And well, that's uh, one thing I hope we don't ever have to do in Michigan. Yeah, to shoot Asian yeah. carp. I hope you're right. We're going to be screwed if we get to that point. It would ruin a lot of stuff. Yeah, you're a big fisherman. You're into the bass and the walleye and all that stuff. Or did he did he destroy the beds? Oh the yeah, yeah. I mean, it just they eat everything. They they you know a lot of the, you know think about it. They love the river systems and stuff like that. So where does all the spawning happen for walleye? Um, a lot of other species, salmon. Yeah, you know, I mean, they just destroy it. I mean, think of the 
Think of the industry that they would destroy in the state of Michigan. How many people's livelihoods, tourism, dollars, all those coastal towns, if you think about it, going on the west side of Michigan for salmon. Crazy. I mean, you know, Ludington and, uh, you know, Manistee and, you know, Onacoma and stuff like that. Those towns wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the salmon. I mean, they would, but a a lot of their business um, goes off of salmon charters. And like a a, a prime example of that – just because I used to live up there, I'm close with a lot of people that live up there and run salmon charters, but how it was affected by like COVID last year mm-hmm. when they couldn't stay at the hotels and, you know, people were worried about going on boats and things like that. Like they still booked the the charters, but the towns locally hurt the tourism hurt a lot. Big time. So I just thought, you know, something like the fishery, if it were to collapse, um, you know, it, would, it would hurt a lot. Yeah. The other thing people don't think about from experience, it would mess with, pleasure boating jet skiing oh yeah all the regular stuff i watched kel get hit he was the target man he got hit right in the nuts a couple are times. you wearing cologne that day or something i got what are you big doing? gonads more. it's just a size factor it was so funny you got a big tough dude like that and he gets hit and he just goes down we're rolling then we'd get hit and we're like dude we, we're like guarding like we're about to be in a fight or something because these fish are just it's like getting slugged. Can you, you punch, punch them out of the air? Yeah, we did everything, oh, but they punched fun. us right back. They were oh, hurting wow. us. You never know where they're coming from. <laughs> it's really muddy water, and they just come ripping there. And they are powerful. They're jumping eight, ten feet up in the air, and you have a thirty-foot log. <laughs> yeah, twenty-pound bowling balls coming at you. exactly <laughs> direction. And so that's what I was saying. Yeah, the fishing, but the industry, yeah. jet skiing, boating—like right. you wouldn't be safe for any of that, you know? Yeah, imagine the people who have like cottages on canals and rivers to go out into bigger bodies of water, like you start your pontoon boat and then all of a sudden it's just smack 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 i mean you're right it would suck to have and if you haven't watched any of the youtube videos of guys being pulled on skis with their helmets (laughs) and their their shields it's worse if you're listening just go on youtube and type in you know guys versus asian carp or whatever there's tons of videos of guys trying to hit them with baseball bats and spikes and all they put basketball nets on the back of the boat and they catch them on skis with a net and see who could score and, and get them in the basketball net. Thousands. This should be like Olympic games yeah. or, or bachelor parties set up around. Absolutely. <laughs> like there was do. a lot of talk on our video. I, I don't believe there's any truth to it, but about opening up uh, rights to shotgun hunt these Asian cars <laughs> out of the back of the boat. Again, I don't think there's any uh, truth or validity to that, but uh, there was a lot of comments yeah. about that. So by the time we'd hit one with our bow, there'd be 50 in the boat. That just jump, just in the naturally boat. just jump in the boat. They were starting to get dangerous where we're going to sink our boat. Like we got to swamp the boat. Yeah. Swamp the boat. There's that many, you know, you have whatever, a couple hundred pounds of fish. <laughs> and uh, we had to stop and start throwing them out because our boat was about <laughs> to go underwater. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Get in the boat fishing. Uh, I think it's uh, right. Like we talked about, it's a fun hobby. It's a good way to practice for instinctual shooting. Um, you can do it with your buddies, kids, talk kids. Yeah. Great way to get kids in the shooting bows, getting used to drawing back, um, firing a bunch of times, control the invasive species. Um, sounds like a lot of fun. I got to try it out. We'll have to get you out there. Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. Um, Memorial day weekend going into it. Hope you guys all have a great Memorial day weekend and, uh, we'll get back to you here on the next episode. Hopefully we're all doing some fishing this weekend with bass opener and things like that. So, We'll, uh, we'll report of what worked for us, and we'll make an episode out of that. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you.